From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. Grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, The thing I like about three services, I get to try out all the stuff in the first service and see what works, what doesn't work. So if there's still some jokes in this service that you feel are not funny, they've been vetted and you're the problem, okay? So the... (laughs) Previous crowd found it funny. I can't, you know, I can't. Um, all right, if you're ready, say this after me. We will not simply repeat what the teacher tells us to say and think, okay? Um, so now that I've gained your trust um, in this uh, message, but the point of that is to say that these moments of vintage are conversations to say that we're here not to dive after more information, but to really pursue more revelation. And that is to say that what we dive into in this moment is about all of us diving in and exploring and saying, we want to know more of God. We want to know more of who he is. Okay. So this morning, our goal for today is this. I want to invite us to stop believing in the God that we've believed in. Sounds like a pretty good goal for Sunday morning. Okay. How was church today? You know, it was a little different. Uh, A little different goal, a little different thing. But I want us to invite us to stop believing in the God that we believed in. What do do I mean by that? If you're anything like me, you might have grown up believing in this man, this thing, this being, God. You might have also grown up believing in this thing, this being, this man called Santa Claus. And yet as you mature, right, typically around the age of 13 or so, no, uh, typically around a much younger age, you might say, you know what, I'm done. I, I don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. I mean, who on earth would believe in a man with a white beard who no one's ever seen? I don't believe in Santa Claus anymore, but I'm going to continue believing in God. But the reality is, I think for many of us, if, if you're anything like me, is that we thought that what we'd done was stop believing in Santa Claus and kept believing in God. The reality is what happened is we stopped believing in God, we kept believing in Santa Claus, but we called him God. This man with a white beard who shows up periodically in our lives, who floats in and floats out, who leaves little crumbs behind that just prove his existence, and whose ultimate concern in life, his ultimate uh, framework in life is have you been good or have you been bad? Because if you've been good, then I can bless you. If you've been bad, I can't bless you. And we treat him like a God. We write these lists and we put them on our doors. Say, this is what I want to feel loved, to feel blessed. And I know if I behave myself, then I might just get that list fulfilled. The reality is the reason we hold on to that view of God, I think, is because in some weird way it almost helps us as human beings move through life. Because I think there's a part of us that actually likes that framework of control, right? First of all, that type of God, that type of Santa Claus can be a kind of helpful parenting trick, right? You know, you want some good behavior from Thanksgiving through Christmas. It's like, hey, you got to understand who Santa Claus is. And the reality is so much, so many of us, myself included, have lived our life believing in a kind of God who does not exist, And that if we dive into scripture and dive into Jesus and learn more about him, we realize that we've been believing in a God who is dead. And so our invitation this morning is to stop 
believing in the God that we've believed in. See, if you're anything like me, we say things to God, or we say things about God, or we say statements as though they are from God that really simply aren't true. So we might say something like this. We might say with sincerity, God, I just want to be a tool that you can use. And everyone says, man, what a religious guy. He's going to go places. And yet the reality is if my son came to me and said, Daddy, I just want to be a tool that you can use. I'd say, oh, no, that isn't what this whole story is about. Or maybe if you grew up in a tradition, in a tribe like I grew up in, we sang a hymn that back then we thought was this beautiful song. And, and uh, you know, if one of you wrote it, congratulations, you made a lot of money off our church but uh, singing it. But uh, it's this song and it goes like this. It goes, I can't sing. But by and by when I look on his face, face of Jesus, by and by when I look on his face, I'll wish I'll have given him more. Anyone ever sang that? Wow, you grew up in healthy places. Okay, good for you. Dang it. Uh, I need prayer, uh, if you can gather around. Uh, okay. But the, the chorus goes like this. It goes, I, I can't sing. It goes, more, so much more. Like, I wish I'd have given him more, right? Because in my tradition, God existed in your jowls, right? So the bigger your jowls, the more of God you had. Okay, so we've been going in Corinthians, reading about the body of Christ. The jowls aren't mentioned because those are exclusively reserved for God. Okay, that's where he lives. That's where he lives. And so we didn't believe in God. We believed in God. Okay, anyone grow up believing in God? like that. And so we grow up believing that stuff. And the reality is, if I'm on my deathbed and my son comes to me and says, Dad, I just wish I'd given you more. I'd say, oh, that isn't what this was all about. See, honestly, if I could write that script, and I can't because I can't control him, if you've met Cooper, okay? Good luck. Um, We've tried Santa Claus. It doesn't work. Um, But what I would long for him to say is, Daddy, you loved me so well. And I wouldn't want him to qualify that statement. I wouldn't want him to say, and I've been a piece of junk. You shouldn't have loved me, but man, you did. I would just want him to say, Daddy, you love me so well. And so this morning, I want to invite us to stop believing in the gods that are dead and just place our trust and believe in the God who is alive. And so this morning what we're going to do is dive into a story in Scripture. And what I want to suggest to us is that when we read Scripture, when we read the Old Testament, the New Testament, when we engage with each other about God, that the lens we have to put on, the pair of glasses that we have to put on, is this moment in history, the cross of Calvary, where Jesus God in the form of man came and gave his life. It was the full expression of the heart of God. It was the full expression of the character of God. And so if I can put those glasses on and dive into stories in the Old Testament or the New Testament or conversations that we have with one another, I find myself being invited each time to lay something down that I have held onto for so long. I find myself invited to lay hold of a characteristic of God that has been, um, has been childlike, has been misrepresented, has been a mischaracterization um, of who he is. And so we dive into this story. There's a story in Genesis where we learn about God 
uh, I was going to be a surprise. Genesis 22. Uh, no, Genesis 22, where God uh, gives a new name to reveal something new about himself to Abraham and to his people. And the clarity of this story is this was not God giving himself a new name. This wasn't God driving down to the courthouse and being like, hey, okay, this sounds better. This was God saying, Abraham, this has always been my name. But you have known me by another name, and I want to tell you who I really am. And so Genesis 22, it begins in verse 1. It says, after all this, God tested Abraham. I think it's important just to set the context for testing, for, for how God tests Abraham. This is how I, I see it as we try and put the, kind of the, the lens on to see this story is that we only test things that need to be tested, right? So if Einstein walks into the classroom and you're a teacher, your first response, I don't think, is like, well, hey, we just want to find out what grade level you're at. Okay, here's a test. Like, let's tell us what what level of math you're at or whatever like that. We kind of get the fact he's beyond that test. If if somebody's built 10,000 homes and all of them have been this beautiful foundation, this solid foundation, we don't test their foundation the same way that we tested the first foundation, right? And so in this story, God tests Abraham, and I think what God is doing is not testing him to crush him or testing him to shame him, but he's testing him to say, Abraham, I want to reveal the cracks in your foundation, not only your foundation, but the foundation of the culture that you're in, and I want to replace it with something new. So it says, God tested Abraham. God said, Abraham, Yes answered, yes, answered Abraham, I'm listening. He said, God said, take your dear son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He took two of his young servants and his son Isaac. He had split wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had directed him. On the third day, he looked up and saw the place in the distance. Abraham told his two young servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and gave it to Isaac, his son, to carry. He carried the flint and the knife. The two of them went off together. Isaac said to Abraham, his father, Father, yes, my son, we have flint and wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham said, son, God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering, and they kept on walking together. They arrived at the place to which God had directed him. Abraham built an altar. He laid out the wood, then he tied up Isaac and laid him on the wood. Abraham reached out and took the knife to kill his son. Just then an angel of God called to him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, I'm listening. Don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't touch him. Now I know how fearlessly you fear God. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Abraham looked up. He saw a ram caught by its thorns in the thicket. Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place God Yaira. God sees to it or God will provide. That's where we get the saying on the mountain of God, he sees to it. So I think The reality is I think this story is an invitation from God to Abraham for Abraham to stop believing in the God that he had believed in. See, there's a a strange reality in this story whereby God says, take your dear son and go to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. 
Now, you know, if I came into church this morning and I said, you know, God has asked me to do something. He's asked me to take my son and sacrifice him to God. None of you would say, yeah, sounds about right. All of you would say, uh, either the British guy's been smoking something, uh, that's why he's in Colorado or something like that, or you would say, he's crazy. None of you would ever say, great, let's go. The reality is that for Abraham was living in a culture, it says, God says to Abraham, take your dear son, go to the land of Moriah. And the next sentence, it says, Abraham got up early in the morning. No protest, no negotiation, no disagreement, no shouting, none of those things. And I think there was a couple of things going on. One, I think, which is critical is that the faith of Abraham that was being tested, that it says of Abraham that he believed that either God would raise Isaac from the dead or that God would provide a new son for him. But what Abraham never believed, what Abraham couldn't believe at this stage was that God would provide the sacrifice instead. That he's speaking to Isaac in that way, but what the reality is is he's tying him onto the altar that he's believing something about God that God, I think, is shifting his perspective on. There's a reality as well of the culture that Abraham was living in. See, if you read, if archaeological evidence will show that at this time and around this time, around the world, thousands of years before Jesus came onto the planet, that child sacrifice and human sacrifice was something that people were doing. And the reality is, is that I think Abraham was living in this culture that was dark, that was mystic, with all these different views of God, with all of these different gods that people around him, cultures around him were worshiping. That Jeremiah says of the worshipers of Baal, this false god, that they had an altar upon which they would sacrifice their sons. And so I think there's a reality also in this story where Abraham was part of a culture where they were attributing everything to God. So if it rained, God was happy. If it didn't rain, God was mad. If they made a lot of money, God was happy. If they didn't make a lot of money, God was mad. And so the reality of that culture is what you lead into is sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. And so my perspective on this or the question I have of wondering about this is was Abraham in a posture of saying we've given him our crops We've given him our animals. And yes, I just wondered if one day he would ask us to give us his son, to give, us my son, to give him my son. And so I think God was inviting Abraham and his culture out of the framework, out of this mindset that they had that said that the God can only be pleased through beating ourselves, through sacrificing ourselves, through giving more and more and more. And the reality of that worldview is that it's exhausting because it never, ever ends. There's a reality whereby Abraham's culture lived in a culture where they were trying to bend the will of God towards them, towards their favor. And I know if you're anything like me that I can do that too. Believing that if I can just do more, believing if I can just give more, believing if I can just pray more, believing if I can just worship more, whatever it is, that maybe it will shift, shift God to loving me or to caring for me or to providing for me. 
And what God was inviting Abraham into was to say, Abraham, you have known me as the God who has provided, but I want you to know me as the God who will provide. And so he takes his son, he climbs the mountain, because there is no shadow that he won't light up, no mountain he won't climb up to pursue us and to reveal something new about himself. So I think God does this beautifully gracious thing with Abraham because it's hard to prove a negative, right? It's hard if people in that culture believe that God was just like the other gods, small g, that if God was just like the other gods around him, that he, like them, was going to ask them to sacrifice their kids. And so God could have told Abraham, hey, I'm not like that, but you know the people around him just like us would have said, yeah, but you wait till he gets angry. Or you wait till we don't have rain for two years. Or you wait till we don't have food for five years. And so I think God invites Abraham up to the mountaintop to a place of total surrender and total emptiness. And the reality is this story that the historians would tell us that Isaac was not a young boy at this time. That he was, the historical records suggest he was more like 30 years old. And Abraham, because he had kids older, was an old man. So this was not a story of a father controlling a son. This was a story of a son willingly stepping into a place and saying, if that's what it takes, I want to give myself. But it was a picture for us of Calvary because I think at this place of total surrender, when Abraham has his sword drawn, that that is where God takes us when he wants to reveal something new, something fresh, something remarkable about himself to a mountaintop of surrender, to a depth of despair, to the end of our rope, to a place where there is nothing else for us to lean on apart from God and say, God, I don't have anything. I don't have anything left to give. And in that moment is the moment when God says, stop, stop, stop. And so for me, I feel like this story is an invitation for us to bring our views of God to him, the views of him as a control freak, the views of him as a, um, uh, the views of him as a Santa Claus figure, the views of him as a superhero figure, or whatever it is that we have in our minds. And it's to come to him and say, God, please, these views need to stop. I would suggest to us, lastly, as we close, that the ultimate stop sign in Scripture the ultimate stop was at the cross of Calvary where Jesus climbed the mountain alone with the altar on his back, him as the sacrifice. And the reality is, is that the cross of Calvary was an invitation not only to you and to me, but to the disciples of the time for all of them to stop believing in the God that they believed in. Because the reality is, is Jesus was not the God they wanted they wanted a God who, when he was on the cross, would bring himself down. They wanted a God who would, when their enemies spoke, he would destroy their enemies. They wanted a God who, when they, were, when they accused him of blasphemy, he would speak with such an articulate force, like the voice that calmed the waters, like the voice that created the earth, and that he would speak in a way that would just wipe them out, and then all the disciples could walk up with that swag. Say, hey, we've been with him this whole time. 
We've been trying to tell you knuckleheads what a great God he is. Is knuckleheads an okay word in America? Yeah, okay. Got criticized for it once, but I grew up in a very religious place, so. Uh, but the reality is, is Jesus is not the God that they wanted, but he is the God that they needed. That on the cross at Calvary, when they accused him, he kept his mouth shut. That when they came to him with swords and clubs, he came back to them with open arms. And the reality is, is that Jesus is the greatest invitation for us to stop believing in the God that we believed in. That he is a God who self-sacrificially loves us, who pours himself out, who does not give himself to us because we've been good, but gives himself to us because we are loved. And the reality is for Abraham as it is for us is that the God who he really is is the God who we really need. And so I want to invite us this morning, if you're anything like me, to let go of a lot of the things that we believed in about God and to come to the cross and say, I commit to reading Scripture, to engaging with each other, to engaging upwards with God through the lens of Calvary. As much as that might mess me up because he isn't the God I was wanting, I wanted this God who was going to take out my enemies. But what I have is a God who laid his life down. Let's stand together this morning. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.